I got a basketball Jones. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. What I was Could. saying... Yeah, you were saying you're yeah. going to give a talk? Yeah, just a little, like, short little talk to the SIUE basketball team, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, the coach here is a prisoner, so I know him and his family. Really good guy, and I've met the, the team before and everything, so I'm looking forward to that. But in preparation for it, um, I've been reading. Do you guys ever read John Wooden growing up? You know who John Wooden is? You say like coach? Yeah, the legendary UCLA coach um, that won like he won like ten national championships in twelve years at UCLA. Whoa. Coach Bill Walton and Lou Alcindor and yeah. like the stretch of their just team all time greats. Weren't they ranked number one for five years straight? Is that them? Wow, I didn't know it was five years. There is an insane stretch when they won like seventy games in a row or something. Yeah, like that. And I think. The polls, like even off seasons, never ever for five straight years. I, I'm pretty sure it was five years, but yeah, he, I, I, I've heard of Coach Wooden. I haven't read any of his stuff though. So my dad, when I was like in junior high, my dad gave my brother and I this book, and it's just called Wooden, and it's like a lifetime of reflections and observations. And so it's this short little easy read. And it's full of, it just feels like his notebook. It's just little things that he like jotted down that they compiled towards the end of his life. And it's so good. And so I've been reading through it again. It's been taking me back to a lot of the stuff that like really meant a lot to me when I was reading it growing up and, and all of that. But when we were talking about before we started recording, just talking about that aspect of how hard of a worker Kobe Bryant was. He he has this great line in there. I wish I had it in front of me because I, I don't know it exactly. But he's just he's like reflecting and he's like, why is it so easy to not believe that like we don't have to work hard to get where we want to be? And it's it's similar of John Wooden was just I, in no aspect does he seem like a workaholic because he's so dedicated to his family. And he talks about that like really beautifully and in this book as well. Um, and that was always like number one, his family just legitimately took priority over anything else that he did, including coaching these great teams. And, but the culture he had on these teams was awesome, but the dude was just a hard, hard worker. And like his preparation was meticulous. Like after he had won eight national championships, it was just as meticulous as like when he was trying to win his first, um, I don't know. I've just been thinking about that of just good old hard work. Like it just goes all. That's it, man. You know, you have to do. You have to do that as a priest. Is like you got to get up and get going at the beginning of of the day. So I don't know. I don't know if there's anything to that to talk about. But when you were talking about like Kobe playing a game and then being in the gym at like five thirty in the morning and kind of that radical like work ethic combined with this like generational talent level. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm, you know, who used to do that as curious well? Curious of that. Who? The Wormazoid. 
Wormazoid. Oh, really? There he is. Wow, that was the legend. Was like <laughs> he, was, he was in such great shape when he was on the Bulls that he was pulling down like 25 rebounds in a game. Yeah, but he then, would, and, and he would also then like the party all night too, wouldn't he? And right. then work out in the morning. Oh, so, yeah. He, was, he worked hard he at everything. A, yeah, burning, or is it burning the candle at both ends? <laughs> Gosh, dedicated. Can we please invite him craft. to be on the podcast? He doesn't uh, even have to be a silent guest. <laughs> yeah, he can talk. <laughs> oh, we promised Joe Pug we would not have anyone fam- more famous than him. Ah, dang it. Yeah, him and Rodman are kind of neck and neck. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that is true. <clears throat> yeah. I no, I do remember maybe it was when we were on retreat, but Bishop Barron talking about um, even over the summers when, you know, different people, they didn't have the normal class load that they were teaching and they had a lot more free time that he noticed, you know, there was this tendency to, to, to really not obviously do too much in terms of preparation as a professor over the summers. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Rob, tell me if you, if you remember this. I remember this story. He promised that every single morning he would come in he would eat breakfast and then at some point he would sit down and in the morning and he would he would work for two hours. He would write specifically for two hours and then he would come back in the afternoon and um, and he would dedicate himself when there was nothing else to do. There was nothing immediately pressing on him that he would dedicate himself to working on his craft, you know, writing a paper or writing a talk or um, reading or, or preparing some lecture or something like that. Um, even when, when absolutely nobody else was, was doing anything and he actually had like a little bit of free time to kick it, watch TV like everybody else, you know, watch some, uh, Price is Right or Wheel of Fortune or some Jeopardy. <laughs> but, you know, when everyone else was, you know, sitting around with this, their feet propped up, like Bishop Barron, who was, you know, <clears throat> probably one of the smartest people I've ever met was in there honing in his craft as well, like doing some doing some hard work behind the scenes. Um, yeah, I and that's always stood out to me. Because, um, I mean, there's a guy who is massively well-read, has studied for the majority of his life, and and still finds the need to dedicate himself and, and to be disciplined. Like, I got to work. I got to work. I got to work hard at this. Yeah. This so, is something I mean, Blaha, profession. Blaha said this to us in seminary. He's like, sometimes I... I wonder if Baron isn't hurting us by like making all of this really complex stuff digestible, like with all his videos and articles and stuff, because he makes it look so easy that we think we can just like watch Baron videos and be as good as him at preaching and teaching and things like that, because it's so invisible. All of the, it's kind of like when I was a kid, I thought I was going to be Michael Jordan because I could dribble when I was like, nine you know <laughs> and you just i remember fantasizing about being a bull and i may have said this before but i literally would get nervous as a child because i thought man it's gonna be so crazy all those people watching me play basketball <laughs> uh, uh, there's gonna be a lot of pressure on me when i'm in the nba <laughs> it's just kind of human nature to think that that's you know well there's the there's just the uh, talent level, like you said about Kobe being a generational talent. But yeah, those guys that are the true greats that make it look easy are constantly in the shed, just working on their craft. Yeah. Uh, I remember Bar- Baron said to me once, 
industry is the enemy of melancholy. I think that's a, I forget who said that, um, an old columnist, a conservative columnist, he said it. But it's true, like when you're, it's very easy to start feeling sorry for yourself or or just kind of like, oh, what am I doing? I don't have that much. But you can think of like four or five projects that if you've got some downtime, um, rather than just sit there and watch TV, get up and put your fingers on the keyboard, write a book. That's what he would do. That's why he's written like 80 books. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when I think but, he, he also would oftentimes cite Flannery. Like apparently she was, obviously she's a great writer, but she was incredibly dedicated at her craft and she would write and rewrite things, would write all morning and sometimes come up with nothing, but, but she would, she would stay at it. How do you though, here's the thing with, with like basketball and John Wooden working so hard, even after winning, you know, a million championships to feel like, all right, let's get it. Like the Super Bowl just happened this past weekend. Okay. Andy Reid has been coaching in the NFL for decades and finally won the Super Bowl, you know, cause you hear, you hear stories about guys that win the world series or the Super Bowl and they're at the bottom of the dog pile and they're like, is this it kind of thing? Um, you can work really hard for a goal. How do you stay? How do you stay on it? Like, cause my, I think it's just my nature to sort of feel disillusioned. And we, I mean, we went through this with the whole Cubs thing. Like what was that really worth it? Or what's, <clears throat> what's really the payoff at the end of all this? And certainly work is not a good end in itself. Um, but it does, it does from a natural perspective, give life meaning, you know, to have, to have meaningful work, to have a mission in life. Um, but I do get, uh, <clears throat> I do get confused. Like what, what, uh, how do you stay passionate about something, um, all the way to the end? And I mean, I've had things like that, that I get really excited about that I work really hard on. But, um, when you're done with a project, you know, that there's a certain, there's a sadness to it, like a postpartum depression when you're done with a project. Or like when a um, really good book is done. Yeah. You want it to keep going. Right. How do you how do you keep that fire going where it's like, all right, tomorrow I'm gonna get up and do that again? Um Because it's true, it's also true that like at the end of a semester in college, you know, you you work, 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 work and get it done. It was some of the most intense and then you're like looking forward to the break or the weekend and partying with your friends and hanging out but then everybody leaves the uh dorm and you're like oh it's kind of sad and then just the wind gets sucked out of your sails um you know what i mean yeah i mean it's interesting i'm just thinking that relating that back to reading john wooden um because his stuff <clears throat> it's gonna sound and saying it it sounds pretty cliche but it reads like him writing it. It reads way more like proverbial than it does cliche um, of just kind of like bestowing free wisdom that he's learned. But he just talk. He talks constantly. He calls it joy in the journey, and like the journey is the destination as far as this goes. And so that was really like he's just adamant on that over and over again. And the delight for him was like forming good young men and preparing well. Like that's really where like the delight in coaching was. And he, has, he was not in any way, of course, opposed to winning national championships, but that was never, ever his goal. Like mm. not one year 
that he did it. That was not his goal. And then he's got an interesting story, man. So it was, I think it was 70s sometime, but UCLA had just won their 10th national championship. And he had this kind of overwhelming sense for the first time ever, like walking back to the locker room that he was tired and like wasn't excited about the next year of like kind of starting it all over again. And he just announced his retirement the next day. He was done because wow. he was like, no, the it's the joy is about the journey and I'm not going to do this just to win. Um, and he was done. He, he hung up coaching at that point. So, I mean, it, that's not a direct answer to your question, but it is interesting how he was able to think about that in his own his own life because that's like talk about i don't even know if like antithetical is the word or whatever but uh you know think about that of no no you could just get like deep joy from like just the work itself um of going in and like having that responsibility to do but kind of never letting it be about I mean, you can fill in whatever numbers or accomplishments or wins or um, whatever, whatever it is. But certainly that is deeply ingrained in me to to look at numbers and is it growing or is this and that, you know, to formulate as something successful or not. But at least in, in John Wooden, that's, I mean, he, he's, I think he, and he seems to have lived that very, very well of, he did not let that creep into his own thinking or psyche. Well, what there is, is there's an intentionality behind it because like what that tells me that he was able to just walk away after all these years of investing was that this wasn't like a life he fell into and like an obligation he felt from the outside to be like, oh, I'm the coach that wins all these championships. And um, I think that's part of the way you maintain the fire about something that you're doing is that you constantly feel like you've chosen it. You know, like in seminary, I remember feeling like guys were always complaining about the classes, you know, like, oh man, I do this, do this class or this paper. And, um, I, I felt particularly in seminary, like you don't have to be here, dude, you know, um, like maybe this obligation is annoying, um, or even unnecessary, but at the same time, like you, you have chosen this indirectly by choosing to be here, to be a, a seminarian, uh, you know, and ultimately the reason you're a seminarian is because you've, you think, uh, you're called to the priesthood and you're choosing that, but there's all these like sub decisions that you've made, um, along the way because of the greater goal, the higher goal that you have. Um, and, but it's very easy to get lost in the weeds of those those little obligations um, and st- and to start feeling like these are imposed on me from someone else. And now I get to feel bitter and complain and make other people miserable by, you know, like having this fellowship of complaining. Um, th- then you see a guy like a Baron who's, you know, not just not participating in that vortex of negativity. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't have anything to do right now. Uh, my classes are all ready for next semester and stuff, but I'm going to, I'm going to sit and work because it's, he's a free man, you know, and, uh, wooden is free. He's not like, he's not just chugging along because he feels pressure. And, um, 
I, one of the things I try to do, I've been been doing a little bit off and on, uh, especially in these winter months where it can be there can be an ennui and a boredom. And you can you can fill your day up easy, man, and feel busy, but not feel like you're really doing anything uh, interesting or like that's that's got your fire going. Um, obviously, the people I love being with the students and stuff, and but the administration and and the longer term projects that you have going on, it's like how do I keep the fire going here? And just making like a schedule the day before, of like look at your calendar. You've got you know, three hour long appointments that are just blocked in there. That time is t- spoken for. You've got holy hour, you've got mass, um, you've got sitting in the confessional, uh, you know, dinner, sleep, things that are, are in there. But then what about all those little gaps in there? Are you just going to fritter them away looking at your email, you know? Um, or are you going to block in and say like, even if I'm, I don't keep to this perfectly because, you know, something comes up, somebody needs to talk or whatever, like you can be flexible but to try to be a little bit more intentional of like, oh, there's there's two hours where I could I could catch up on email, but I'm going to intend to do that, um, or I could work on this class that I that I have to teach in a couple of weeks, or I could work on the Three Dogs North book, or work on more music stuff, or <laughs> or whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but like, actually mean to do what you're going to do rather than just say, oh, I only have three hours of obligations tomorrow. Oh, plus the stuff I do every day, like pray and mass and. Um, let's just see what happens to tomorrow. Let's just get just after it. And the then you, yeah, you're like, I got to get in the office yeah. and then what? All right. Yeah. Sit around, make a coffee, make another coffee. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. If maybe I can add. Yeah. No, no, no. I totally agree. So that you're, that you're choosing to be there and choosing to engage in each of these events. I remember working out in a couple of camps, um, I guess it must have been my first year of priesthood or maybe this past summer. Um, what happened with a lot of the missionaries is once they got out there, they had this whole schedule, this whole rigmarole that they would have daily activities that they were going hard for like three weeks, you know, four weeks, something like that. And a lot of them, the further in that we got, um, would just mention this like lethargy. They're like, man, I just feel like I'm like like, I don't care about this anymore. I'm just kind of like floating through these days, even though we're doing a lot. And I enjoy everything that we're doing. For some reason, like, I feel like it's not engaging me as a person. I, I'm i just going through the motions. And and, and so just kind of pointed that out to them and, and asked it if they themselves are choosing to be a part of this, to choose to be at each of these events that were already scheduled for them. Which is like, hey, hey, engage your will and your agency in each of these moments in the day, and and um, I think a lot of them had just kind of given themselves up to like whatever the schedule had, which is great freedom and, and flexibility, but they didn't feel like they were choosing to be there. And and once they started doing that and and engaging the prayer process, engaging uh, the formation process, like like you said in seminary, like no, you're. You're, you've chosen to be here, so choose choose to be here in each of these moments, and it 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 made all the difference in the world. Um, once you once they started actually engaging, um, even the little pieces of formation that were there, but there is a difference with like vocational stuff, so parenthood or priesthood, or even you know like these jobs that are a civil service or something like Coach Wooden where you're working in 
uh, a sport or, you know, somewhere in like the realm of the arts. Um, a lot of those things, people like, obviously we chose to be in seminary. People choose to do these different tasks, but there's something different. Like even that example with coach Wooden and ourselves as priests is as much as we choose to do it, there's also at least the, the sense of being chosen as well by something else. Um, that I don't know if everybody who works and who has to work hard and choose to be present at their jobs, I don't know if there's that same grip from the outside as well. Um, where it's like, no, I, I have a real passion for this, a real zeal for this, because something has taken hold of my heart and like I feel like I feel a need to do this. I feel a deep call to do this. And so there's I don't know, you call it like an existential passion, an existential joy where you realize like this is more than just work. This is like a vocation aspect to it. And I think a lot of people with sports and arts and yeah, like the priesthood and things like that. Um, we have the gift of that. That's a straight up gift. Like somebody asked, I was called to do this. And I don't know if everybody who works not just in the workforce, but just in general, if they have that same passion. You know, I bet if you ask Coach Wooden, like, I feel very called to this work. Um, so there's something that's kind of gripped him from the outside in. And, you know, I think what the story that you told, there's probably a recognition of like, okay, I, I don't feel that same passion. I don't feel that same um, being chosen to do this. Um, yeah, so that I guess that's my bigger question is like what do, what do people do in the workforce who are like accountants and number crunchers and maybe their work doesn't have that same meaning, they don't have that same passion uh and yet they got to choose to get up and work. Mm. That's that's tough business right there. I don't I don't really have an answer for that. Well, what you're saying about the Choosing versus being chosen, I think it reminds me of something Father Hebden said about grace. His definition of grace was the collaboration of divine and human freedom. Um, I heard Scott Hahn say once it's uh, wanting, what does it say? When God is happy, I'm happy. You know, like when you when you love someone, your happiness is their happiness. So it's the coming together of two wills. Uh, that's what love actually is and when you love god you want to your happiness is his happiness and w what makes him happy is you know his will uh and of course that actually is our literal happiness it's not just like okay yeah i'm just gonna do whatever you tell me to do it's getting online with your purpose in life um but that's that's what's tough is i think like even i don't know work can become uh, just something I do. And that, that's when I feel like it really loses its savor. It's like if you're, if you just got a goal when you were younger, like I'm going to get a gold medal or I'm going to win, I'm going to get to the NBA. Um, it does feel like at the end of that road, if you're not, if you're not saying like the journey is the destination, or if you're not saying like, this is a, this is a higher calling that this is really about the kids that I'm coaching. And it's not just about being the best. 
because that can i mean the ego is this relentless master and there's never enough championships to really ever be satisfied but if you do feel like you're being called to something but you're also choosing it you're chosen but you're also choosing it um i do feel like there's this there's a freedom there uh and i know i've experienced it but i'm not a saint i'm not in the unitive way i don't perfectly want what god wants all the time and i do make it about me and that's when you're like you know you can even take something so meaningful it doesn't have to be number crunching it can be the priesthood and you can feel like nah this is this really doing it for me you know and it's like that's never what it was about you know what i mean um and it's it is sometimes the little stuff uh that you need to do and that's not that flashy not that meaningful but you just you just do it um and it's all caught up in this greater intentionality of of fulfilling your purpose as a human being in god's will for your life yeah i don't know it's a mystery dude especially when you get to the end of your life and you're like you're not able to do the things you were able to do before um you know to see someone really truly free that you know is not quote quote unquote productive but is really present and is not just feeling like all right well my life is over i'm not doing anything anymore all right there's no purpose to it anymore like there's always there's always the ability to love you know god and other people um yeah you've seen retired priests who are happy to not have the pastor duties anymore but are just like priests to the bone you know yeah that's what i want to be like yeah i don't know if y'all have experienced this as well in the parish but sometimes you it does feel like you can kind of just get like sucked away by the schedule and you're just like, ah, I feel like a canoe floating down a river with nobody on it. And you're just going wherever the schedule and the current takes you. And like, that's also not a really pleasant feeling, you know, mm-hmm. like, and sometimes it does happen. And I think that's part of the vocation, but something that's been really helpful for me and, and that remembering my own freedom, my own volition, my own agency, not in like a domineering way, but uh, and that it's real and like God's given it to me as a gift is, uh, and father Brett was a great example of this. He actually has it in his calendar each day, ST, which is sacred time. And that's time where he, he takes like two hours during the day and just spends with his dog or works out or whatever, like spends a little bit of time where he can relax, recuperate and enjoy some of the things that, that he's passionate about in life just on his own and then he can step back into the office for evening meetings and and resume kind of the the schedule and the the day-to-day work of the parish and like taking that time out to to choose to say like okay yeah I'm giving myself to the schedule of the parish but at the same time um like I need to make sure not that just I'm taking care of myself but um like I returning to those passions returning to the things that we delight in in life um i don't know reinvigorates myself to be able to choose to be a part of the day-to-day stuff of the parish where i don't feel like that canoe just floating down the river but 
um, you know, I'm, I'm choosing to be here. I'm, I want to be present. And, I, and now I can actually engage in the things that I'm being asked to do with, with my whole self instead of feeling like I'm being drug along. Uh, and that's, that's actually made a pretty big difference. Um, yeah. I'm thinking of <clears throat> two things, um, after that. Well, three things, I guess. One, dude, Father Brett sounds like the man, by the way. Dude, Rob, I know y'all have met, but I legitimately was thinking like, dude, Rob and Father Brett would be s- bros. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. It, oh man. Gosh, he sounds awesome. Um, Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, I could keep talking about how awesome Father Brett sounds, but a couple of things, and I don't know how they directly relate, but when I had this buddy, um, he's in Nebraska, he worked for Focus for a couple of years, but Matt Simmons, shout out, um, who is so, so awesome, um, just deep spiritual life, and he was like a tattoo artist before he um, ended up working for Focus, and he's got this like awesome conversion story, and Anyway, he told me once, he was just talking about the spiritual life and kind of giving me some wisdom on some stuff. And he just talked about how he imagined his life, like pretty much if you ever feel like a ping pong ball just getting hit back and forth and like that is your life, that simple image. He said, like pretty much without a doubt, you can know that like you're not really deeply sitting in the will of God in your life. And, like, it's okay to take control in the sense of, like, the intentionality that we're, that we're talking about. Um, I think, anyway, it sounds like what we're talking about. But I just, I, that image, for whatever reason, always just, like, really, really stuck out to me of if you feel like a ping pong ball just getting hit, like, back and forth, then... Especially like, by a guy like me, which is no doubt, like, a totally... Like don't devastating it, top don't spin do not slam. It. You, <laughs> you you broke up. Dang it! I actually didn't hear what you said. Now I'm interested. I said a devastating top spin slam, like I would totally yeah, just do forehand a spin doctor. Mm-hmm. Just it's, an absolute it's spin league. doctor. Yeah, it's it's underrated. Yeah, dang it! And I forgot you did handle me thing. last time you were up here, didn't you, Mike? You beat me. Yeah, I, yeah. I I think I beat you. <laughs> I think I was playing Every with my left hand. Every time that we played. I think I was playing with my left hand. Oh, dude. Or I had the flu or something. Yeah. You're going to lie on, sense. You're gonna you lie on live TV like this? I think, if I remember right. <laughs> no. no, no. Dang. I totally, yeah. So if you if you feel like a ping pong ball, you're not living in God's will. I, I, Dang it. And I, I had something that. else that was going to like actually make more sense and flow into it, Matt but I Simmons. forgot it because of your darn interjection. So <laughs> my intervention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. That's a great image. Um, dang. Yeah. But you know, I, I look at like some of my siblings who they, they don't, I'm not saying that they hate their work or anything like that or, but there are people who do stuff that they don't, like do it for a living for this bigger goal of like their family. Um, maybe it's the thing that funds their, their actual passions outside of work. And, um, but I mean, just growing up, my dad was always adamant, like, you know, your work, (laughs) you don't have to like it. Um, which maybe I guess is a, is a, is a different thing is a, is a good distinction. 
Like you don't, you don't necessarily have to like what you do or be passionate about what you do, but, um, to know why you're choosing to do it makes all the difference in the world. Mm. Uh, which, which is really, how can you be intentional about something if you don't know your intention? I think there's something there. Yeah, that's true. And I would say like your work doesn't have to be fun, you know, and I don't know. There's so many distinctions that you can make there. Uh, I went to the Illinois game uh, when we beat Minnesota last week. Sweet, which was awesome. dude. Yeah, it was no. great. That looked like a Father really Mark fun Tracy game. went up and caught it. And I had this thought, like, watching the Orange Crush, and, you know, it was pretty much a packed house, which was awesome. And, yeah, it brought back these memories. I used to, I used to like, have tickets on the floor with the student section and everything, those Illinois teams. And But it was like, you know, thinking back, and I've never really, like, been able to say this before, but I really... Like my college years were really, really fun. Like I had good friends and um, it was awesome, dude. You get to kind of do whatever you want in, in college. And um, this is where I met Jesus and it was awesome. But I don't know that I would say that like now at this point in my life, I don't know that I would say that my college years were happy. Um, it just There's just too much like, like kind of self-searching and doubt and just like not knowing yourself well enough yet. Um, and I don't know. I just, I kind of made that distinction of like, I don't know that my, my college years were, were always happy, but they were super fun. And I never really made that distinction before between fun and, and happy. And I think you could kind of apply that there to, yeah, like work, going to work, like it doesn't, I don't think it needs to be, to be fun. Um, but I, you could, I think you can make some helpful distinctions in that of like, but what is it that like drives happiness or even like kind of make a distinction sure. there of joy? Um, I don't know. Does that make sense there? That totally makes sense. And it's funny yeah, because I've, I've recently had the same thought about college. Really? Uh, yeah. Just thinking back, um, cause sometimes it does, you do long for a time when it was like just fun all the time. Um, right. You know, even seminary was really, really fun because there was just a lot of guys around and, you know, I was thinking about the rhythm. You talk about the ping pong ball. I mean, sometimes it's fun to be a ping pong ball. You're going from class where you're with all your bros and um, like lots of inside jokes and you go to a cam meeting with the dogs and, you know, out to the parish, you got this thing you're looking forward to this life and you're all kind of have this esprit de corps and camaraderie and everything like that. And then out in the parish and uh, the day-to-day life of, of celibacy can be a little bit more solitary and you've got to, you know, choose intentionally to relate to people and, and invest in friendships and stuff like that. And it's just not as automatically fun all the time. Um, and there's a lot more work stuff and stress and pressures and things like that. Um, and, you know, I just went through our quarterly priest meeting yesterday. We, all the priests of the archdiocese get together and, talk about the tsunami of destruction coming of the you know personnel crisis and and uh closing churches and everything like that and you're like this is not as fun as uh when i was a kid but i do think that i wasn't that i'm happier now than i was yep. when i was in college because i'm exactly like i wouldn't want to go back uh to being a 20 year old kid um as fun as that was, I, you know, firefighting, I, I, I think about that whenever I'm out camping out West in the mountains, I'm like, man, that was a fun time in my life. But at the same time, I was like deeply anguished about like, 
who am I? What am I doing? You know, how do I use my freedom? Well, um, I'm better at it now than I was. Um, so that I'm, I'm very interested in what the distinction is between being happy and having fun because I still want my life to be fun and I still think mm-hmm. life should be fun. Yeah. Uh, but in a way that's not, you know, this is kind of what I'm saying also with the getting old, like seeing people who are truly free and, and still enjoy life, have joy, even though they can't like, I'm thinking about in the next six years, I'm going to be 40. I'm not going to be able to play basketball anymore. Holy cow, dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> are you serious? In in 16 years, I'll be 50. And, you know, okay, so here's the, here's the thing I thought of yesterday. I vomited in my mouth a little. Yeah, the years since I was 18, starting U of I, in the same amount of years, I'll be 50 years old. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Dude, don't do that to yourself. (laughs) I can't not do it. In your head, you're already dead. Okay. (laughs) Which actually might not be a bad place to be. That's that's what Paul says, you know? Memento mori. Yeah. But, you know, like, how do you... I'm sure when I'm 50, like, please God, I hope, I will be happier (laughs) than I am now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. I I, I think that it should, by all accounts... My worldview is you should be getting happier and happier and happier. Even the more you, the more you die, the more things are taken from you, or the more things you 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 give away and sacrifice. Um, a joy is given there, and that's been my experience in life. But it's still it's still scary, and you're still like trying to figure out. I've, I've quoted this before, but um, oh man, I always forget who it is. William James, maybe this poet that said. Uh, he believes in the immortality of the soul, partly because as he gets older and closer to death, he figures this, I'm just now learning how to live. Hmm. Uh, it seems like it would be a waste to fi- finally figure out how to live a human life and then just die and have it be blackness. Yeah. Um, Cause you, you know, it's, it's like then just then that you're ushered into eternal life. Like this is, this is what it means um, to be truly alive. Yeah. Having fun versus being happy. Yeah, because I mean, like when you're think, a kid yeah. in college, you do have all this freedom and all of this stuff at your disposal. But I, I think like, man, if I could go back and really live that intentionally and not waste so much of the time and not oh, sleep gosh. in so much. and Yeah. But at the same time, that wouldn't have been the same, you know? Yeah. I don't know. No, not, not at yeah. all. Yeah, that distinction. I don't know how to even um, further that besides I'm, I certainly relate to the question. Um, and, and I'm guessing a lot of people um, probably probably do. Did you yeah, ever get the was... feeling, too, that uh, when you were in college, like uh, I especially felt this in high school, like how do you guys all know how to do this? You know? like have fun or enjoy your youth. <laughs> I don't know if I was just a weird kid uh, <laughs> and too thoughtful or something or too like ruminative. Um, but I felt like I didn't get the manual, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just how to I, be a I, high schooler. Yeah. Like how to, how to not even just be cool, but like enjoy this. I felt so oppressed by anxieties and, and feeling like, who am I? Am I, am I, you know, I never would have articulated it or even had the courage to admit it had I had the capacity to articulate it, but I think I agree with that. I also had, I don't know if you guys had this, but like, it's funny because even thinking back, 
even think back in like high school and not the the football coach that took over my senior year he was really good he's still there but before that we had some turnover and i feel like that was kind of a culture oftentimes of like whether it's locker room or whatever and in college gets into this too of like oh man like soak this up because these are the best days of your life you know best days and of life, uh baby. You'll you'll miss playing high school football forever, you know. And uh, that's Tim McGraw on Friday Night Lights. That yeah, speech well, he gives to his kid. Yeah, I, mean, I, I actually I'm thinking of a couple things that I I can't say on the podcast because of how they were worded. Of uh, like yeah, enjoy this because you'll never get it back. And I think college is kind of that same. Like the whole notion of like sow your wild oats, you know, and like do this now because you're never going to get it back. Like even at the time, I thought that was asinine. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, because there was still something of a recognition of me that like, yeah, that but word. this, like, this would suck if it was forever, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, but I mean, there's like a desperate attempt to hang on to it um, in a lot of people and even in myself in a lot of ways too, that you probably don't realize until after the fact, you know, of learning what freedom is. And I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Furthering that distinction? Dude, I, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, one of my neighbors came over and visited in our backyard and it was me and one of my younger siblings and, and he walks over, we're both in college at the time and he has his, his younger son is walking next to him with his hand on his head. He looks at both of us and goes, y'all enjoy college. (laughs) Best years of your life. (laughs) Dude, what? (laughs) Yeah. You realize what you're saying right now, you know? Right. It's like, even at the time when I was in college, I did. And you, I think you see it. You have these parents that, you know, you hear stories like they'll come back and visit for the fraternity weekend and do keg stands and, you know, whatever. And it's like, um, I guess the natural emotion of, yeah, the human experience is, is to be able to, like, see that that was fun, but it actually doesn't lead to types of fulfillment and meaning and... I mean, looking at that distinction, like Peterson is just pinging around in my head. Uh, he says that responsibility is the thing that really drives like hmm. true, deep, deep happiness. But it's a two-edged sword because massive responsibility also comes with massive worry and anxiety. Um, like you, that's those are the things that occupy the space of your thoughts and the space of your heart and times when you're trying to sleep and then all that stuff gets kicked up and you're just thinking about it and you, and you worry about it. And you know, that's parents, that's it. Parents, this massive responsibility of raising somebody. Um, but you know, in Peterson's language, like to contend with that responsibility well, so that the worry doesn't overcome you, but that you actually do engage in this, uh, super meaningful task of being a priest or being a father or being a mother or whatever. Um, well, like allowing that to season you well, that's, that's tough because the worries and anxieties, they, they loom large, you know? Um, but if you do it with peace and grace, like it can mold somebody into a beautiful human being. I think that's, that's what you're talking about, Connor. And you see those old folks, you're like, dude, you're free. Mm. Um, life, the responsibilities that God has given you have been handled in a way that have shaped you into a beautiful person, which is, uh, I guess I like that image as I just kind of 
say it because then it really is God's action on you and just us being able to receive what he's doing in our life and accept it with the right amount of agency. But also you like you have to have deep trust. You have to have deep trust in something other than yourself to not to not be obliterated by the massive responsibilities and worries that come with running a university or running a parish or raising human beings with immortal souls. Like that's a big deal, you know? And so there, yeah, to do it with levity and fun, man, that's, uh, well, it's soul craft at the end of the day, our most important project or work is our own personal salvation, which of course is not our own work. It's the work of God in us. But um, right. nevertheless, we're responsible for it, you know, mysteriously somehow, even though we can't do it ourselves, God still makes us cooperators in our own salvation. And that's what it is, is like um, life is not about just having fun. Uh, that's that's why even as a kid, you had the maturity to say, like, this is stupid to think that college, the kind of fun you have in college is the best kind of happiness one could achieve in life means that you've never grown up and you've never experienced the joy of being responsible for some thing or someone. Um, you know, there's, it reminds me of Plato and the Republic, how, you know, he had those four tiers of people that, that represented the four aspects of the soul. You had like the people who were basically stomachs that just lived for earthly pleasure. Um, and they couldn't understand the people who sacrificed pleasure for money but the money people were like no having money is even better you know i'll sacrifice you know getting drunk today so that i can save my money and and have more pleasure tomorrow and then the people who sacrificed even money and pleasure for honor the the warrior people they're like you've never experienced the joy of of you know like the glory of fame and and honor and stuff like that and i'll even make myself poor so that i'm famous and loved and then you had the philosopher kings who like, I'll sacrifice honor, money, and pleasure all to just uh, know the truth and uh, love goodness. And at any one of those tiers along the ladder, you've experienced the thing below and you say, no, I know a thing that's better and higher. And that's what I'm going after. Um, but I think with Christians, it's it's something even different. Like the highest good is is God and that's self-giving love. And so even if, you know, even if you're like from an outwards perspective, even an inward perspective, you feel like totally empty, like you've given yourself totally. And even your projects and plans, you know, how does a Maximilian Colby feel like, all right, yeah, I'm getting up tomorrow and I'm going to, you know, die in a starvation bunker. That's going to be my day. I'm going to be really productive and leave a good legacy, you know, um, or this movie. Did have I talked about a hidden life yet? Franz Jägerstatter. Did you see it? Oh my gosh! This That's is the new Terrence Malick, right? Yeah, oh, unbelievable. Gosh, so jealous. Is it? Oh gosh. Okay. I honest, it's my day off. I might go see that today. Do if it. I can find oh, a show. Even if you gosh. have to drive to Champagne or something, it's worth it. It's not in every theater, but oh my gosh! The way I put it to one of the kids at uh, Newman, I'm like this the movie doesn't make you want to be a saint. It makes you terrified that you might not be a saint whoa <laughs> that's that was how i felt at the end <laughs> like oh my gosh what a waste to live a life and not become a saint you ding dong i'm i have work all week 
<laughs> now he's got to sit with this. Don't Shoot. walk, run. How dare you? But that's that's it. Is like that's when you see something like that, a movie like that, or read a story of a person who's lived their life like that. You're like, there's no greater joy, even though this guy lives this, uh, by all accounts, kind of meaningless life and and sacrifices every good thing that he has just for his conscience, just, you know, not as like a powerful witness in the gladiator arena getting eaten by lions in front of a bunch of people rooting for him, or it's just like everybody's left him and betrayed him. And yet, uh, this is, he's another Christ, you know, like he's, he's, he's done what you're supposed to do, which is hold on to the, the highest good possible. And you see from, in retrospect, what a massive deed it is, what a massively important life he lived, even though from the perspective of history, it really didn't change anything, you know. Um, but here we are, what? 60 yeah. years later, watching a movie about his life. And, you know, my mom, I went to see it with my mom and dad. No. My mom just wept at the end of it. And I was like, oh, man, I, should, I don't know if I should have invited you. It's like... <laughs> destroying you but dude she said, what she a said it was the best movie of, she said like, it. even though in history like it didn't really change anything like that's it man yeah that, oh golly hey another, i gotta i gotta just, go to work um, fair enough yeah. but that's another piece of evidence that the song go make a difference should not be allowed <laughs> oh, oh dude <laughs> I'll say That's it. That's my favorite song, bro. Oh, my favorite, my favorite uh, line from that. Is there a movie a few years ago called like Christ the Lord or something or Jesus the Christ? It was one of these Christian movies, and <laughs> Jesus is in the boat with Peter. Oh yeah, and no, it was called Son of God. Son of God. <laughs> he goes, follow me, Peter, and Peter's like, where are we going? And Jesus says, to change the world. <laughs> that is not in the Bible. <laughs> let's go make a difference christianity we're gonna go change Man. the world <clears throat> people didn't get excited about changing the world back then the world was just the world it changed us yeah they were trying not to get killed like, everyone was just trying not to die well and that that's the whole point is like with the hidden life is christianity is not about like oh the value of christ is that he changes the world because what's wrong with the world is us he changes me, you know, that's, I, I guess that's why that line sounds so tinny and, and cliche to me because like I, I've, I've tried to change things and it's, you know, make your own bed before you go out into the world and say every, everything in the world is wrong. Like I am desperately in need of being saved and Christ is the answer. Thank God. Um, Go make a difference. We can make difference. <laughs> Good talk. Good talk. Great talk. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.
Spooky dogs. Spooky dogs. Good girl.